the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is... is Love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello everyone and welcome to the next best picture podcast. I'm your host Matt Negley. The time of recording is 11.07 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on February 16th, 2020. One week removed from the 92nd Academy Awards. We are still digesting everything that has happened. Our best picture winner being Parasite. Here to talk to me today about everything that has happened in the aftermath of the Oscars. I have Nicole Ackman. Hi everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Lauren LaMagna. Hey, everyone. And Dan Baer. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. (laughs) That was really appropriate, I think. (laughs) I thought so. Unless if you're of a neighborhood in Parasite that gets flooded, then it's not, you know, (laughs) so good. (laughs) Can't have everything. So... Like I said, um, it's been one week since the 92nd Academy Awards. Um, We are, those of us that are getting over the shock of it now, um, I guess reality has settled in that Parasite is our Best Picture winner, the first foreign language film to ever win the Best Picture Prize in 92 years of the Academy. And there's been a lot of think pieces, there's been a lot of reactions in the aftermath. Um, I'm sure you have all had some non-cinephile friends and family in your lives that have come to you and said, what is this parasite that everyone is talking about? I need to know. And you, of course, direct them to it, and then they say... Is it a horror film? Does it have subtitles? I don't know. You know, at least that's been the reaction that I've received from people. So in any event, though, uh, why don't you all just, uh, you know, feel free to tell me some general thoughts on uh, what you've all been experiencing over the last week since Parasite's historic win. Afterwards, we'll talk about the trailers for The Green Knight, The French Dispatch. Uh, We'll answer fan questions. I'll go over some of the polls that have been released. I released a lot this week uh, for reasons that I'll get into in a second. And we will have a big announcement at the end of the podcast. So stay tuned. Let's kick it off first with the person that wasn't on our reactions episode, Casey Lee Clark. Yeah, I mean, it felt nice to end the Oscars feeling good and happy. (laughs) Like, and I think beyond just the Parasite Best Picture win, which I was predicting i was more invigorated by bong's surprise director win yeah because i think it was just that's the kind of stuff i feel like i live for now is these like going against precursor big surprises like olivia coleman over glenn close yeah, like olivia coleman or like just ones where you're like whoa i did not see that coming like it felt so good where like i almost like had a stronger reaction to that than the picture win in a way because it was so caught me up where i was just like oh this is really happening <laughs> so yeah. that was fun um, that was like the biggest surprise of the evening. I think everybody can agree. Even picture was a little more predicted than him winning director. So, but overall, I think it was really great. I ended the night very happy with everything, and it felt I enjoyed talking about them with my like casual film friends. Then, because normally I'm just like, yeah, you know, they're like doing a the thing. But it was like nice to 
we feel like proud of this thing that we've like devoted our lives to. Yeah. Every now and then the Academy just gets it right from a consensus standpoint. It, it very rarely happens, but when it happens, it's really, really freaking cool. And like I said last week on the show, I guess this is what it would have felt like had Moonlight won without the envelope controversy. I just, I just went like, even though that is like probably the most iconic Oscar moment of the decade, I, I always wish that it had its own moment to just enjoy that. But yeah, I agree. I think that if that had happened, it would have been like a similar type of feeling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a great story of this underdog movie uh, from a studio that's only three years into existence, uh, much like A24 with Moonlight at the time. And it's just like, God, it's just so nice. And I I want us all to just really I know it may sound cliche to like bask in how nice and great it all is. But truly, like take comfort in that for the time being, because who knows what's going to happen next year? The pendulum could swing the other way and we may get another Best Picture winner that is either lame or is something that we all really despise. Uh, I I think we got to just take the good when it comes and really, really enjoy the moment. Uh, with that said, uh, Casey, was there anything else on the night that you liked? Did you like the show or like the production? Yeah, I don't think I had any um, really negative feelings about anything. I liked a lot of people's speeches. Um, cried at Laura Dern and Diane Ladd. Uh, yeah. So. Did you guys see Diane Ladd's uh, post interview with Dern where she like promoted the last full measure? <laughs> yeah. Oh my but, yeah, god. But yeah, Dern's speeches the entire Icon. season. I've just been a big fan of so. Where she, it was like a, inevitable of her winning at everyone, but I like that they were always different and she's always just so professional. So, yeah, I, I was happy with everything. So, what uh, post Oscar win interview in like the press room uh, did you guys? I don't know what like what's one that like really jumps out to you, either for good reasons, bad reasons. Was there anyone that you watched that you were like, oh, I need to talk about this on the show? Um, All I can think about is Bong apologizing to the engravers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I loved Taika just going off about Apple keyboards. Me too. Oh my God, that was so good. (laughs) I was sitting there nodding my head going, yes, 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 Taika, yes. I relate. your moment. (laughs) Yep. I didn't know if he was being serious or not, but the more I thought about it, and as a former uh, Apple employee, I was like, you know what? Yeah, because I was there for that transition when they moved the keyboards over, and I was like, yep, yep, he's making all the right points. (laughs) Um, Did you guys see Joaquin Phoenix when he went to go get his engraved? He was like, can you please put Leonardo DiCaprio on mine? (laughs) I did love those photos of him and um, Rini Mara. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, and her sneakers. As unique so and odd of an individual as he might be, um, they're, they're they're extremely cute together. I, yeah, I can't deny it. They're perfect for each other. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, like, I can't see them with any other individual. And I love their story of, like, they did her together and, like, didn't speak. And then it was, like, a few years later when they worked together that they, like, actually got to know each other, which is interesting. And it's really interesting, too, that, like, um, don't worry, he won't get far on foot and Mary Magdalene. Like, they've started a couple movies together now at this point. Yeah. So, not really great movies, but, you know, hey, maybe one day. They have everything. Exactly. D- does anyone know if Bong Joon-ho has gone home yet? Yeah, I saw Yeah, yeah he today. just got home. Okay. The man's sleep. I saw this really, really great uh, poster on uh, social media of, it was his face uh, mimicking the poster for The Martian with the tagline, yeah. please send him home. 
I saw that too. <laughs> oh my God, it was so fantastic. Are there any wins now that you think about it that like sting you or rub you the wrong way? Like, oh, that's not going to age well. Any Anything like that? I don't. I, I can't really so. think of anything. I think this is one where, like, even the wins I'm not the most enthusiastic about, I can yeah. sort of deal with. Like, you know, I'm not the most enthusiastic about Joaquin's win, but I understand it. And as I said on the night, I just pretend that it's for the master. Yeah, I think I that, like the acting wins were so inevitable that it was like yeah. my opinions about them have already like gone through the stages where I'm just like I, I came up to acceptance by the end. So it's like fine. I think Joaquin's win in many ways is a lot like someone like Gary Oldman's where it's a oh, whole yeah. career mm-hmm. of amazing yeah. performances that were overlooked or he got nominated and, you know, didn't. They didn't acknowledge it then. In Ullman's case, it was only one nomination. But still, um, I, I, I that's how I kind of viewed Joaquin. And that we see with the Oscars literally all the time. I mean, Laura yeah. Dern and Marriage Story, great example. Great mm-hmm. performances her entire career. And let's be honest, it was kind of a career win this year for her. I kind of feel the same about Brad Pitt. I agree with that, too. Yeah. Brad Pitt was better this year in Ad Astra than he was in Once Upon a Time yep. in Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> It's I, also sort of true of Renee, I think. Yeah. It's, you know, like the we're so glad to have you back. Yeah. Award. And, you know, for like the op, like it's weird, like the like sort of inverse of a career win. Mm-hmm. Like the it's not for your whole career, but it's a thank God. Like we know you were away, but thank God for coming back. You know who I think is going to definitely win one within the next five years? Zersha. No, um, <laughs> I, I do have thought. I do have thoughts on that, but I think Scarlett Johansson is going to win within the next five years, because now that she's in the club with that nomination or two nominations, it does remind me a little bit of like Gary Oldman getting the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and then what was it? Uh, you know, a few years later, he does Darkest Hour, and it's like you know, because like once you're in, you know, it, it, all you got to do is then deliver a performance that's like right up their alley, um, and is like. Just a perfect combination of timing, role, and, you know, et cetera. Um, I, I definitely think she could probably do that. That requires her to be in a movie that grabs Oscar attention, though. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but I think now that she's over with the Marvel franchise, I think that we'll see that more from her now. I don't know. Depends how much money Black Widow makes, I think, on that yeah. statement. Well, I mean, I... Like, her campaign this year just said to me, I'm thankful for the nomination, but I really don't care. Well, yeah. I think the thing that hurt her the most was this uh, perception that, you know, grew over time uh, that this was not a 50-50 movie with her and Adam. Like, this was predominantly Adam Driver's movie. And I, I think that ultimately is what hurt her the most. I think she needs a showcase role much like what Renee has with uh, Judy. I mean, when I think about leading actor performances now that win for the most part, it's not typically like take Sir Sharon and Little Women, for example. It's not the lead of an ensemble that wins. It's got to be like front and center. The performance is the movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, in Sir Ronan's case, my prediction with her is that she's going to deliver a harrowing, dramatic, heavy, 
insanely dark performance, something like Brie Larson in Room, because it's going to be so different from everything else that we've ever seen her do before. And I have a feeling that's the role that's going to get her the win. And we're all going to be like, oh, I wish it wasn't for this. I wish it was for she's been better before, but it's going to happen <laughs> one way or another. You know, I could also just see her following a very Kate Winslet E trajectory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> literally add next year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of things that I think aren't going to age well, I think that one of the ones from the night that actually does stick out to me, and I don't think it's because like people are going to be like, oh, well, this was terrible. But I could imagine that in five, ten years, people are going to be like, wait, why did Toy Story 4 win? Like, was the Pixar thing just that strong? You know, if, like, if that ever gets broken, um, the like Pixar stronghold, I can see people looking back and being like, really? Mm. For all intents and purposes, I, I mean, this is what Tom Hanks has said and a few others. They, this is truly like the last one from what they've all been saying. I know, I know. I like there's, there's an asterisk there. Absolutely. I, mean, I don't believe that for a second. But if that is the case, I can understand and why it did win. But let's be completely honest. It won by the skin of its teeth and it was a default choice. I don't think it was an undeniable runaway uh, winner in the category by any means. No, and and I said this on our instant reactions that I really do think that its competition was just too spread out, and there wasn't one single alternative to take that movie down. And I think Klaus, much like the acting races, honestly. Yeah, and, and I think Klaus was emerging as that other pick, but I think that it came in too late, and especially with the shortened season, there just wasn't enough time to rally around that one movie. And I don't think that Toy Story 4 won by a huge margin. One thing that uh, it's not so much that it's going to age poorly, in my opinion, but um, it, 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 it's actually not even addressing that question. It's just something that just came to my mind. Bong Joon-ho's director win sticks out so much compared to uh, recent winners in that category. Like, it felt so predetermined that Sam Mendes would win for this kind of um, showy you know, one take illusion type of direction that won all the precursors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like didn't miss one. Exactly. I mean, they tied a critic's choice, obviously, but that was Bong Joon-ho's only win uh, at, at a major precursor all season long. So I, I look at that and I'm just like, man, I'm so happy for Bong. But on paper, this doesn't make as much sense as I thought it would. <laughs> You know? yeah. And we said this during the podcast, like all throughout award season, we were always like, we see a world where 1917 can get a lot of below the lines and then misdirector. I do remember saying that. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. That's so true. People said this online and I agree with it of like Bong being this beloved personality that I think mm. when you're also having the entire Academy vote as opposed to just like the DGA or whatever. And BAFTA was a given for Sam Mendes that it's like, yeah, it makes sense when you look at it from that perspective. It reminds me so much of Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water. Yeah, he was the face of the movie. Yeah. yeah. But he still won everything. I mean, yeah, what, I think what is amazing about Bong's win is that it really just shows how much of a surge there was for Parasite in those last few weeks. I mean, especially considering the timeline for him to take director over Sam Mendes, who won everything, really just shows you how much passion there was for that movie and how much it intensified as we got closer to the Oscars. It reminds me a little bit of Spotlight in the sense of like 
uh, Spotlight, if I remember correctly, only also had six nominations. And it was yeah. going up against big movies like The Revenant and Mad Max Fury Road that had 10 plus nominations. And the little movie, um, in Parasite's case, six nominations, you know, overcame and won the most awards on the night versus all these films that had 10 plus nominations. <laughs> I It's really interesting. I wonder um, if given this surge, then lo- obvious love for Parasite that was in the room that night. I, I keep wondering if if the season were longer if it could have done a clean sweep. Oh, I think that that would have been very possible, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if it was longer, it might have even gotten acting nominations, too. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, it is a little odd that Roma got uh, two acting nominations last year and uh, Parasite got none. Um, I mean, not when you look at the differences in between the campaigns. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes I, more sense, yeah. yeah. And I think even though Roma is kind of an ensemble, it really was like... Yelitsa was the face plus Marina being the one cast member that spoke English and her being on the campaign trail a lot. Whereas like Parasite is the true ensemble. And they were everywhere for Roma. And and Quran would make a point to say, to point them out every time that he got on stage to win something too. Yeah. Yeah. And plus they had a story like Yelitsa not ever act having acted Mm -hmm. before coming to like, that's a story and people love that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari getting two wins for sound editing and editing. Um, I'm very, very happy for that movie, considering that, you know, it only got four nominations. It's a crowd pleaser. It's a well put together film. I think that if it was going to win any awards on the night, those were the two probably most deserved. My dad was thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) I was happy for it, too. I really like Ford v. Ferrari. And, you know, it's one of those movies that isn't usually like number one on people's list. And so it doesn't get talked about that much. But it's a really fun, entertaining film. So I was glad that it won something. I really enjoyed it. My mom just bought the DVD. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, my boss was really happy that it won something. Yeah, I I do think that it was nice to see something like that. That is a very well-made crowd pleaser get some recognition. Yeah, yeah, and its wins are very deserved. Like I, you know, I think the sound work and the editing, I think we, even people that were like mixed on it can still be like, yeah, that makes sense. So. And in 1917, when I look at the wins for cinematography, visual effects, and sound mixing, um, it's like a far cry from... Dan, I'll never forget, we walked out of that premiere screening, the first uh, screening of the film, and I remember telling you um, flat out, well, that's going to win four Oscars walking in the door that night uh, for, uh, I think I I think I said, cinematography, uh, sound, sound mixing, sound editing, and score. And uh, <laughs> I have this, please don't bring up the score because that still makes me so sad, yeah. even though like, you're like, happy for history and Hilder's speech was lovely, but like, uh I, I think that is the win that hurts me. I'm happy for Hildur. I'm happy that it's a female composer that won. I don't really believe that people honestly like that score. I disagree. I think it's a good it, score. Yeah. And like she is very hot right now. Yeah. And okay. She's coming right off of Chernobyl. Too, it's just so, so dark that. and like uncomfortable. And like this is what people like to listen to. I don't like it, but I saw so many people talking about how they liked it. And I also think that, like, it partially was that a lot of people, as you kept pointing out, liked Joker. And I think that they saw that as an opportunity to reward a movie that they liked um, in a place where it felt deserving other than just Joaquin's win. Yeah. I'll also say the score presentation 
of the nominees yes. I oh, loved when amazing. they did all those yeah. scores with the conductor. So good. I and, loved that. And showed, like, revealed the names of them on the pieces of music. Like, oh, that was just that was so well done. As much as I am sad that Thomas Newman didn't win, I actually think that 1917 not winning picture and director makes that loss go down a little bit easier for me because it would have been one thing if like that movie swept in all these categories and didn't take Newman. But the fact that it underperformed a bit with its wins makes me feel a little bit better because like, okay, you didn't win, but the movie itself didn't win a ton either. I guess the uh, big question now, uh, and I've heard a lot of people uh, talking about this, and maybe uh, this will be a fan question later. I'm not exactly sure uh, yet, but do you guys think that Parasite's win is going to have um, an immediate reaction in the following years um, as far as like what kinds of films get nominated, win, etc.? No. No. I think that it may open us up to more foreign films getting nominated for Best Picture, but I don't think we're going to see another one win for a while because I think that there are going to be people who see this as like, all right, great, well, we did that, so now we don't yep. need to again. Oscars yeah, are really good at doing that. Yeah, they really. I think on the flip side of that, I don't think it's going to have the post-Moonlight Shape of Water negative reaction that gave us Green Book of like, we're just going to vote for what we want. We're not going to let people tell us what to vote for. It's just like a nice overall good consensus. Everyone's like, yeah, this is great. The one thing I'm going to try to apply to next year, um, it's funny because when it came to Joker this year, um, the experiences with Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody the prior year, um, immediately right when Joker premiered at Venice made me think, oh, Joker's getting Best Picture nomination. And like, you know, because I, I, I'm like, if they're willing to do Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book, they're going to do Joker, you know? So like that was like the big lesson for me uh, that I carried into this year. I think Parasite's lesson um, and looking collectively at the whole decade is the film that has the passion support, forget about respect Forget about what the critics think. Forget about, like, the movie that, like, people will perceive as going down in history 50 years from now as a masterpiece. Just pay attention to what people are responding to passionately. Green Book's win, in hindsight, makes a lot of sense. Especially when you consider um, how people were responding to Roma that year versus Green Book. And... I think I can compare that to a little bit with The Irishman this year as well, where it was a movie that everybody respected, but not that they didn't love it, you know? I think what also helped Parasite, though, is that even people who didn't love it respected it, whereas something like Irishman had a lot of people who respected it and then people who disliked it, whereas, like, even people that I saw who didn't like Parasite admired it and thought that it was technically good and all of that. Like, I didn't see any real detractors from it other than the people who are just being like oh subtitles yeah but all the best picture wins this year all had that one thing in common uh was it it was a passion vote and i think that's what at least for me uh, that's what i'm going to carry on with me into next year when looking at the best picture race what is the film that has the most passionate support um what am i hearing from voters because i mean you guys remember me saying Mm-hmm. I'm talking to so many people, and they're all mentioning Parasite one way or another. They're either saying it's their favorite or they're lumping it in with a group of films that are their favorites, you know? But, like, everybody mentioned it. Well, the other one that you also said that about was Joker, so. Yeah. Well, I mean, 11 <laughs> nominations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But only two wins. Still. In any event, um, any other thoughts on the uh, Academy Awards before we get to our first trailer? 
Uh, there's one thing that I just want to mention, and this is actually not just pertaining to this uh, Oscar race, but something I think we can even look at further. Um, I really do think that if your movie misses editing, that is actually still something that's a major thing. Yes. And yeah. the, the further we get away from Birdman, the more I'm starting to realize that that's probably an anomaly because it wasn't just 1917 that that was an indication for. It was also Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. And it's really interesting how as soon as that editing miss happened at the nominations and then it just really underperformed at every guild that it went to, I, I really do think that that is something that we have to consider going forward. We can't just dismiss it just because Birdman won. And I want to just piggyback off of that and say for the record that I am a very, very proud member of the Critics' Choice Awards organization. Mm-hmm. But okay. <laughs> them not uh, rewarding Parasite Best Picture is one of those things that makes absolutely still no sense to me It, at it all. doesn't. And, and, you know, like you said, Matt, you know, I'm very proud that you're in that organization. It's a great honor for you, and I'm, I'm very happy. But, you know, we know that that organization has a reputation for lighting, for liking to tout themselves as Oscar predictors. And for the Critics' Choice Awards not to pick Parasite as their best picture winner, it, it you know, it, it's ridiculous. It, there's I no mean, hey, word for it. Maybe it, they it. were just really, really passionate about the other movie. Maybe. I mean— there are a lot of people that love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I can't deny that. I mean, yes, there are. But when it's the Critics' Choice Association, I, I don't know. I, I, it, believe me, Josh, I had so many questions that night. <laughs> people really, really spoke to that movie. And that, to me, that, that really is much more of a critics movie than anything else. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, uh, let's talk about our first trailer for this week. This is uh, A24's uh, summer movie, uh, much like Midsummer last year, directed by David Lowry, who has given us films like A Ghost Story in recent years, starring Dev Patel and a few others. This is The Green Knight. Let's take a look at this one. Tell me a tale of yourself, so that I might know thee. Yet. You have none to tell yet. I fear I'm not meant for greatness. We all fear. But fear can be a gift. design i am all about this production design mm-hmm. i'm a huge arthurian legend obsessive and like everything about the look of this i was just like i, I gasped several times during this trailer i think my um favorite thing about this trailer is i, I think it's a fox at one point yeah. Oh, yeah. I want that Fox to win Best Supporting Actor next year. Um, and I don't even know anything about him. Um, I, it, it could be a CG. It's definitely a CGI Fox. But I, I'm just saying, like, whatever, whatever's going on there, I hope that that Fox is, like, a prominent character in this character's journey. Um, who here is familiar uh, with the, uh, the legend that this movie is based on? 
me. Me. <laughs> what an intriguing, interesting concept. Uh, I don't know how they're going to stretch that to feature length, but if there's anyone that can do it, um, David Lowery um, is just such a distinctive storyteller. And he's able to effortlessly, as we've seen with his filmography so far, move between different genres with Pete's Dragon, The Old Man and the Gun, a ghost story. I mean, like, th- this guy, uh, it-, it seems to me at least that he's like, what is he like? I think he's like um, the indie Ridley Scott. Like, he could just move between different genres and he just makes a really, really, really good movie, uh, regardless of what script it is that he's working on or what genre it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So such a talented storyteller. And, you know, Ghost Story was my pick for the best movie of the decade. So I am a big fan of his. I'm a big fan of Dev Patel. And honestly, that's all the information I need. <laughs> like, <laughs> just say David Lowry and Dev Patel and like I'm there on day one. So it's not just that. We also have Kate Dickey, uh, Sean Harris, Ralph Ennison. The reunion. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, also another reunion I'm very excited about, and I'm probably the only one, but Sean Harris, Joel Edgerton, medieval film. Yes, The King. I love The King. I'm like, yes, Sean Harris, be in all the medieval movies. Thank you very much. I love his voice. <laughs> He's so got much. such a crazy voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's oh, got such an amazing voice. I'm happy to see Barry Keoghan. I don't know what he's doing in this movie, but... um. I thought he was so amazing in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And yep. um, so good. he's just a very intriguing uh, actor to me right now. Um, if you guys haven't seen American Animals, definitely check that one out. Mm-hmm. And Alicia Vikander also is in this one as well. Coming back. Yeah. Welcome back, Great girl. cast. I'm ready for her to be back in a big way. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's got this and uh, The Glorias uh, this year, which uh, Casey and I saw at Sundance. So yeah, uh, visually, this looks pretty incredible. I am a little concerned about uh, things like pacing, uh, storytelling, obviously. I mean, you know, like, remember, this is a teaser. So and I think they did that part of it right, like focusing on the um, the the look and the feel and the tone of it. Right. And I'm just like, when we get the uh, quote unquote official trailer, I think then we'll have more of we'll know more about like how, what the actual story they're telling is and how it's going to um, stretch out to fill a feature. And the thing about Larry, he's really good at capturing the stillness of a moment and the actors in their stillness. So he can film someone and let that moment see if he's not afraid of just letting people just sit in where they are. Mm-hmm. So I'm not technically, af- I'm not totally afraid of him like stretching out. It's probably won't be a full two hours. I'm guessing it's somewhere in the 90 minute range. But I think he's – if anyone can just, like, take – let actors just sit in the moment and go through what they're going through, it's him. I'm just happy that Dev is doing such in, – leading such interesting projects. Like, I, ju- I just want the best for him. He so. made such a compelling case for why he should be the next James Bond in a movie mm-hmm. last year called uh, The Wedding Guest. And to see him just go from something like uh, Chappie to Lion to um, Hotel Mumbai and – like, he is one of the most interesting actors that I feel like we don't talk about enough. Yeah. Yeah. And the personal history of David Copperfield uh, later this year as well. Yeah. Some comedic chops. I want Dev Patel in all the period films <laughs> from this point onward. All of them. Every every director has to find him a role. You give me the male Kira Knightley. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Perfect. <laughs> I'm down for that. And isn't it just great to look back and say to yourself, um, oh, you were the kid in Slumdog Millionaire, you know? Yeah. The kid from it's the Skins. same guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, the kid from Skins. It I'm is just, so yeah, I'm glad crazy. he wasn't just like, Leading some big movie and then never got any work. Well, I'm glad that- there was the last airbender. <laughs> well, yeah, but now he's fine. Yes, yes. He's fine now, and that's all that matters. I think he very, very wisely uh, pivoted his career after that movie yeah. flopped so hard because I really do believe that that had the ability to probably kill his career at the time. Well, he recognized that that movie was terrible, and he knew that yeah. it would, would be a trap to keep making movies like that. So he made a decision to take on more interesting roles and to take on roles that were fulfilling from a character perspective. And I really admire that about him. And he's just really evolved into such a fascinating and interesting actor. Agreed. I'm very, very curious to see what he brings to this. Um, I, I I can already tell. I have a feeling that this is going to be like Midsummer last year for me, cinematography and production design, like personal favorite. But, you know, <laughs> let's be honest. This is probably not going anywhere near the Oscars next year. So I it. Hey, I mean, you never know. Medieval drama. They could go for it. Indie spirit nominee. No, actually, wait a minute. Um, there's some visual effects work in this that might push it out yeah. of there. Actually, yeah. visual effects, production design, costume design. This, this. I could see this yeah. getting it some design happen. nominations. The costume oh, yeah. people love period things. Yep. So do the production design people. Yeah. Yeah. Those All types right. of guilds, I think, can pull like a smaller or weirder movie out just to mm-hmm. you know. So we'll see. But then again, it is A24, and they don't know how to campaign for shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, don't remind me. And I've been waiting for uh, Daniel Hart, uh, the composer, to yeah. make something that is going to truly wow us. And I, I thought his score for A Ghost Story was quite unique and interesting, but it, it didn't really have good. that wow factor for a lot of other people, I found. Uh, I think that, you know, given the material here, I think that he might uh, create something that's really, truly extraordinary. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I actually really liked his score for Old Man and the Gun, too. I think he's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And David Lowry, we trust. (laughs) Absolutely. Hi, guys. I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. All right, let's move over to uh, some fan questions. We got quite a few um, for the Oscars last week. I want to uh, ask some of those now on the show and get your thoughts on them all. Let's uh, take a look and see what we got. So uh, first up here is uh, from Carl Jacob. Some believe Parasite won because members of the Academy wanted to appear quote-unquote woke and make up for Oscars so white. I believe Parasite won primarily because it was the film the Academy loved the most. What do you guys think? I think after I think after the nominations, it was a such a short time period, and b I think those like new a thousand members that are mainly on the younger side had a big effect of it because this is when everyone can now vote for those nominations, and I think those new guys definitely took why. And they're and they're mostly uh, from other uh, countries as well. Yeah, they're not predominantly old white men, so I think those new ones definitely helped it. I think yeah. that if the voters cared about seeming woke, Green Book wouldn't have won last year. <laughs> Is it weird that I actually I do believe that they believe that they were being woke by making yeah, they that might choice? Have that. They were like, this is, you know, friendship. <laughs> This is uh, fixing racism. Isn't this a lovely movie? Yeah. But, you can be friends with the people of opposite races. I, I, I honestly, I shit you all not. I really do believe there are a lot of members who voted thinking that that was the quote unquote woke choice. Oh, totally. And they're yeah. not on Twitter. They don't know. They don't care. Right. Yeah. And then same with Bohemian Rhapsody. They're like, they're like, look, he kissed a man. <laughs> oh, oh God. my God. Let's not get back to that. <laughs> Uh, all right. From uh, Daniel B. at Film and Sports 21. What is your biggest hope for the 2020-2021? There we go. I got that out. Season. Uh, it could be a particular film succeeding, general trend, or anything that just comes to mind. I mean, I'd love for any minority directors to get nominations without it feeling yep. like people are checking off a quota. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to say. I will say in defense of that, that I do feel this decade especially... The Academy really did uh, step up a lot with nominating, you know, Spike Lee, Barry Jenkins, Alfonso Cuaron, um, a lot, you know, I mean, we had Alejandro Cuaron uh, win twice this decade, Guillermo del Toro, and then you have um, Bong Joon-ho this year. Okay, so we got to diversity in terms of race fix. Now let's just get some women, I think, in the next decade. That's what I yeah. would like to say. Yeah. That My, is really the area that I think they have shown they still have a long way to go. I mean, as great as that, uh, you know, the lineups have become in terms of recognizing, uh, you know, diversity on that front. The fact that it still has a long way to go in terms of getting women nominated in that category is particularly for directing, I think, shows that they still got some work to do. Speaking of which, my other big hope for uh, this season is that um, Promising Young Woman goes yes! somewhere. Um, I'm, like, ready to run Carrie Mulligan's campaign yes! right now. <laughs> I haven't even seen it yet, but she's been so deserving for so many years. And, like, if there's anyone who deserves a career Oscar, honestly, it's Carrie Mulligan. And I feel like this is the role where it's the perfect timing to do it, the perfect, like, deserving role plus, like, everything she's done in the past so i'm ready i am declaring i've i think i've already said this on the podcast but i'm making it a definitive fact 
that Carrie Mulligan is my Tony Collette and Hereditary this year. I am going to mm-hmm. push, 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 and it's going to annoy all of you, but I am so determined to make this happen. I annoy me. love her I in this movie so much. I, I cannot begin to tell you all. And also, too, that also extends to Emerald Fennell, the director and writer of the film. I want her to get some recognition for this screenplay. Like, you guys have no idea. And... I think her direction of this movie, personally, for me at least, is better than any other direction of any other uh, female film that I saw uh, last year. I- I'm just like, I'm all in with this movie. Like, you have no idea. I cannot wait. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, Kate Winslet is my favorite actress, and Sir Ronan is literally like a mini Kate Winslet, mm-hmm. so I really would like Hamonet to be good. And if it gets there, it gets there. But I'm really looking forward to that one. Same. Mm-hmm. I would be a little disappointed if Saoirse Ronan won in supporting, though, I have to admit. I think that if she won supporting now, it would set her up for another win down the road. Yeah, like a Kate Blanchett. I would rather her win once than us have to wait, you know, 10 or 20 years to see her. Like, Kate wins that I think won on her seventh. Yeah. She's a mini Kate. Six, yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of uh, category fraud and leading and supporting, uh, Andrew Purr asked, with category fraud becoming more prevalent, do you think there should be stipulations with either screen time cap or percentage of film to disqualify a role for supporting consideration? Yes. No. No. Yes. <laughs> look, look, I am the most anti-category fraud person there is, but the second you put uh, some sort of restriction on that, you're going to get a case where, like, I don't know, like, if, if that applied to, for example, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, who she is clearly a co-lead, but because she has, like, less screen time than Driver, she gets into supporting or something. I just think that it, it's too difficult to set up actual rules for. I mean, it, it used to be that that, was, that, that category was for you know, not the big stars, yeah. but yeah, the stars would be offended if you put right. them in that category. Exactly. Back like yeah. how you get Jimmy Stewart's win for the Philadelphia story in which he's a supporting actor. Yeah. But since we don't have the studio system anymore, it's a lot more, uh, it's less set in stone. Yeah. And as much as I despise category fraud with all my might, I think the only thing that we can do is call it out when we see it and trust that the voters don't, buy it yeah uh, it makes me so mad like it's even i mean i love viola davis but the fact that she won you know the tony for best actress yeah. and then like literally filmed the entire thing and now she's all of a sudden supporting and then the whole carol thing made me so mad because it's obviously rooney mara's story and yeah. I I the one that pisses me off most is julia roberts in august osage county because the whole publicity trail was about how they beefed up that role from the stage play and that she's the protagonist of the movie and somehow they campaigned her supporting how does that make sense and i also don't like when they just bump child actors into supporting even when they're not so like i remember when they were doing with room they put jacob in supporting and they put brie larson and they should have both been leads in my opinion i think that one of the other yeah yeah and everyone did sort of be like no that's not no like don't bump the kids down because they're under 21 Right. One of the things that also bothers me is that I feel like sometimes they're like, oh, well, we have two male leads, so one of them has to be supporting. We can't mm-hmm. have two yeah. male leads or two female leads when, like, they're clearly co-leads. And I feel like that's such a weird, like, heteronormative, like, well, yep. only, only, you know, this film can only have one so, man and one woman. Yeah, I feel like every uh, 
publicist or anyone that runs like a campaign for uh, situations like that, they're like quoting uncut gems to the actors. Do you want to win by 30 points or by one point? <laughs> Let's get those nominations. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then it's, it's just unfair. Like we have like Viola Davis in Fences go against like Michelle Williams in Manchester with her three scenes. Like it just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's like not real. Like in most of the, I feel like most of the support, no, all of the supporting female performances this year actually were supporting. Agreed. Yeah, for that. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> supporting actors is a different story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, David Mitchell Baker asks, now that Brad Pitt, Laura Dern, and Joaquin Phoenix have all won acting Oscars, which other 30-plus year veteran would you like to see win their first acting award next? Well, the obvious one is Willem Dafoe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I would still like to see Samuel L. Jackson win one one day. Yeah. 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 I, the fact that he doesn't have one is really kind of insane. Um, I would love to see Jonathan Price win something. I feel like his chance kind of came and went this year, but... I think Jonathan Price's nomination is the reward. I, I yeah. really believe that. I'm is trying to think of 30 plus years. I was going to say Carrie Mulligan, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, she's not 30 plus years. I was going to say Amy Adams, but like, yeah. Yeah. Well, Amy Adams, yeah, is she? No, she's over 30. No, 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 30 plus years of, in the industry. In the industry, no, like 20. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's well, I mean, it's, it's the obvious answer is Glenn Close. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm. Oh, she got to make a better movie. <laughs> uh, man, I'm so sorry, Glenn Close fans. <laughs> All right, uh, this one comes from Lana. Do you think Bong's surprise director win will make you question whoever wins DGA next year? No. I think it's similar to, like, other, you know, stats not lining up. Like, it's sometimes an anomaly, and you have to consider it, but as a whole, it's like a one-off. Yeah. You gotta feel the year. Like, that's the thing. Paris has such passion behind it, as you said. We also... Do we know yet uh, what the schedule for this coming year is? Are they going back to the longer season? Yes, they are. Okay, Good. because I feel like that also is going to change um, the ways in which this past year would have set precedent because I think we definitely saw an effect from the shorter season. And so I don't know, you know, how much we'll be able to take how it shook up some things yeah. to be true going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, the DGA is still a very reliable precursor. It's one of the most reliable ones that we have. And it has gone. It has predicted the best director winner correctly far more often than it has incorrectly predicted it. So I would still say, like with everything, sometimes one-offs happen and strange things will occur. But I think for the most part, it's still pretty reliable. Whereas BAFTA Beck's picture is a curse. <laughs> yep. I also think that if anyone other than Sam Mendes or Bong Joon-ho had one best director, like let's say it was Quentin Tarantino, I would be so much more perplexed by that because at the end of the day, and even though it was a tie, Bong Joon-ho still did win the Critics' Choice Award for Best Director. So I, I, I you need to have one of those wins. Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, DGA, BAFTA, you got to have one of those to still be in the fight. Essentially, I it's never it's never happened since Critics Choice has been around that a director winner uh, won without winning one of those. So 
Uh, Luca Gilberti, uh, speaking of the longer season, asks, do you think with a much longer season next time around, we'll see more variety in the below the line races? I saw the same movie shortlisted everywhere this year, which bothered me, especially in cinematography and score. I think we'll also get more of a range of films nominated. I think that was a big complaint of like having so many films with so many nominations as opposed to like more of a variety in what was getting nominated because there was less time to have full campaigns. So hopefully that's, you know, having more like lone nominees and little categories and whatnot, as opposed to just the same films dominating everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was very apparent this year. Yeah. They didn't have time to see everything. So they followed the films that had the most buzz and those are the films that got all of those. Now I I think that the math backs that up a wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I normally love the costume designers branch and their weird picks, but even they disappointed me this year. It's like, how do you not nominate Dolomite and Rocket Man? Like, yeah. I just don't understand. I don't it. understand. I still don't. Yeah. Uh, this one is from Faison C. What would be your early predictions for uh, Best Picture contenders from this year, just for fun? And Faison, what I'll just say in regards to that is if you head on over to um, the website, uh, Daniel Howitt did a unbelievably good job uh, highlighting upcoming contenders very, very early, might I add, uh, for this year, just based on what was on paper for them, uh, stars attached, etc. And if you look back at his piece from the year before, he actually also had um, all of this year's nominees with the exception of Parasite listed in his article. So I would I would definitely recommend start there first and work your way from there. Yeah. And great great for him. Uh I could never do it. I just yeah, no, me neither. <laughs> I have done year in advance of predictions only once and after that I just decided I cannot do this. Not way. so soon after the Oscars. <laughs> I just cannot muster the energy to do this. <laughs> For, for me, that way lies madness. I only live, I like live my life only t- two weeks at a time. Uh, anything like further than two weeks in my life, I- I'm like, I, I-, I-, I can't tell it's you. It's not real. Like, so when people ask me, like, the other day, oh, what movies are you looking forward to in 2020? I'm like, listen, I need to focus on what I'm seeing this week and next week. I can't, <laughs> I-, I-, I just can't. And my life is way too crazy and way too insane. And uh, to even book things like months in advance or something is so scary for me. Because I never know what it's going to conflict with and such. So I, I, I tend not to think ahead too, too far when it comes to awards predicting like this. This is when we need Michael, who like every year has his spreadsheet for like oh, 40 God. years yeah. out of what he thinks. I <laughs> uh, hope he's having a good time in Israel right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This one comes from uh, at the Underwally on Twitter. Do you think Taylor Swift for Miss Americana or Billie Eilish for No Time to Die? We'll make it all the way to next year's best original song race. Billy has a shot. I mean, some James Bond songs do make it there. What'd you guys think? Of, what'd you guys think of the song? I it's like it. fine. Yeah, I wasn't too enthusiastic about it. You know, I wasn't that enthusiastic about it when I first heard it, but I have listened to it a couple times, and I do admit it is starting to grow on me. Uh, I, I will admit that my personal taste for Bond themes are a little bit more on the bombastic side and we've had a run now of these kind of slow somber ballads and you know they're fine but i would like something with a little bit more energy to it but i still think the song is is decent overall and it's gonna end up being on the radio and i think she's gonna end up being on that oscar stage next year whether she's gonna win is a totally different question yeah all right this one comes from uh jess uh jess ass 411 Sorry, it took me a minute to, to read what that said. 
Do you think Parasite's best picture win was partially due to heightened passion amongst everyone who felt that Roma should have won last year since both were foreign language films that were generally the most critically acclaimed films of their respective years? No. I don't think so. I don't think people think like that. No, I think Parasite just generally, genuinely had organic passion to it, that people saw that movie and loved it and wanted to tell other people about it. And for as much as respect Roma had, I think everybody kind of approached that movie kind of like it was homework a bit. And I, I loved Roma and it was an incredible movie, but you did kind of have to tell people like, you know, yeah, it's slow. It's in black and white. It, it is subtitled. Like you're going to have to work a bit. You're going to like it, but you're going to have to work. And there wasn't really that with Parasite. It was just people saying, go out and see this movie because it's great. Yeah. I really feel like Roma remind Roma reminds me a lot of like what boyhood went through a bit mm-hmm. where when people finally saw it, they had this feeling of, Oh, that was it. You know? So yeah, I don't think a lot of uh, general audiences got those movies the same way that critics do. And that's okay. You know, um, you know, everyone's free to have their opinions on the matter. But, you know, when you look back at it now, it's funny because we're going to do a 2014 retrospective this year. I think Boyhood is already aging extraordinarily well in comparison to uh, Birdman personally. But, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that Parasite had was box office, too. You know, Mm -hmm. and I I think that was something that they could use in its campaign to see, like, yes, people are going to see this movie and here is the proof. Whereas Roma, it kind of just had to take Netflix's word for it, which I think was something else that people were turned off with that movie's campaign. It makes me wonder, actually, uh, to this day, what would have happened to The Irishman um, if it would have been a box office uh, hit or at least a modest hit. I don't think it would have been like a hit hit. Um, or would it have gotten such disappointing box office that it would have killed its chances completely? You know, that that's something that I will always ask myself. Mm. Uh, Scott Kernan. Do you think Parasite won on the first round of voting on the preferential ballot? No, I don't think no. it won on the first round. I, I don't think – I think it's very difficult to win on the first round, but I don't think it took too many rounds later for it to win. I will say for the record that when we did our poll here, granted, very, very small compared to the Academy membership, uh, we had about like only 10% of what the uh, Academy membership usually has. But still, with those couple of hundreds of uh, votes that we got, I can tell you right now, Parasite did not win on the first round. Um, I think when the numbers get that high up, um, it becomes increasingly yeah. difficult for any film to have more than 50% of the vote on the first round. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're splitting it between nine movies. But, yeah. but the big thing, though, was it clearly had such a wide spread of number one votes compared to all the others. Um, that even though it wasn't over 50%, it was just way out in front and nothing was able to catch up. I think that's probably what happened here as well. I think so too. Yeah, I, I don't think it won on the first round, but I do feel like it was probably out ahead and it was going to inevitably win. Yeah, I would say third to last round probably it won. That's yeah. my guess. Same same uh, person, Scott Kernan. Uh, how many Best Picture winners this decade do you think the preferential ballot winner differed from the popular vote winner of that given year? Ooh. Ooh. Okay. This is an interesting question. Wait, I, I got to look at these things again. So, uh, all right. So, the, the King's Speech. Do you think the King's Speech would have won on a popular vote? Yes. yes absolutely. I agree. 2011, The Artist. Popular vote winner, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 2012, Argo. 
probably, yeah. yeah. I yeah. would say yes. Yeah. I would say yes as well. 2013, 12 Years a Slave. No. Uh, you see, I would say yes, because I, I really feel yes. like I really do feel like that year there was an agreed upon split between it and Gravity. And it just really felt like there was this feeling that we should give Gravity director and 12 Years of Life picture. It reminds me of the Gladiator year. Gladiator kept winning Best Picture everywhere, but really Scott could not win director. Um, and in the end, the same thing happened on Oscar night. It was like a, a, an agreed upon. We're giving this picture, but uh, director were going elsewhere. Uh, 2014, Birdman. No. No. No, it wouldn't have won the popular vote? No, it wouldn't have so. won the popular vote. And uh, you're going to think I'm crazy when I tell you what I think would have won the popular vote. Uh, go ahead. I want to hear that. American Sniper. <laughs> oh. Oh. Mm, I, I, no. I, I don't agree with that at all because it's only ever win with sound editing. <laughs> no, but you have to remember like – <laughs> when voting was taking place, that was the movie. I, I disagree. I, was, I think I think Birdman wins on the popular movie vote. Movie and it overperformed. All they talked about was Bradley Cooper with the doll. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I still I still sort of feel like Birdman might have been the popular winner just because it did do a pretty big guild sweep leading up to it. And I think Sag, that's a lot PGA of, and DGA. Yeah. I think that's a lot of evidence to say that there was still yeah. much, uh, a great deal of support for that movie. Yeah. True. 2015 spotlight. Uh, this no, is where I no. think the Revenant uh, actually would have pulled it off. Yeah. I think so. Or Mad Max. Cause of like what we've t- been talking about, about passion votes. I think in a different year that could have been, a th- I think with today's the, the same Academy that voted Parasite Best Picture, I think that could have been a thing. See, I look at I look at uh, Mad Max there as almost like the Matrix or Terminator 2 Judgment Day, where it's like, yeah. we're, we're giving you these texts because you clearly deserve it, but you're not, you're, we're, no, we're not We're not going there with director I mean, and the Revenant winning director and actor, I think, shows that that was really, really there for the popularity. And that, but that was also a uh, career win for Leo. I'm not saying it was deserved. (laughs) And I think the Revenant, the campaign sort of pummeled people into choosing Inaritu for a director. I think Spotlight was an easy popular vote win of that list. To me, it is like the definition of consensus. Like, that's the movie that what is the one that everybody can agree is the film that they like the most. That, to me, is the one that signals that. Right. And on the other hand, like, I just don't see any of these other ones coming up with more than spotlight on a popular ballot. I just don't. Yeah. Uh, 2016 moonlight, La La Land. I think La La Land would have won the popular vote. Yep. Yeah. This, and yeah. this is, this is the year where I always point to and say for as much issues as the preferential ballot gets, gives us moonlight doesn't win without it. And I have to be grateful at least for that. Agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2018, the shape of water. I'm sorry, 2017, The Shape of 17, Water. 17, please. <laughs> you know, this one is tricky. I, I really I no. really don't know. I, I No, I, I think Shape of Water wins uh, on a popular vote, no matter what. I think it's possible, but I, I also so. think it's possible that on a popular ballot, Get Out wins. But here's the thing, though. Think about before the preferential, right, it came into play, and we have all these uh, Best Picture winners with low uh, wins in terms of overall Oscars won on the evening. 
you're not going to have a situation where a film wins screenplay and picture and that's it. I mean, like what? Rebecca uh, going all the way back? I mean, you know, it, I, I don't I don't see that. No, it would have been but shape again, of water. Younger, cooler Academy. Yeah, that still voted for Green Book. <laughs> right. But I mean, also, but the, in 2017, the winner was Shape of Water, which is the a very, very weird movie for that same Academy to pick. Right. No, I still, I, I still think Shape of Water would have won on the popular vote. I agree that it probably would have won, but I, I, I still think that it's. I'm not 100 percent that it that it would have. I'm surprised that you don't think that Three Billboards still would have contended on a popular vote. You know, it's interesting because it did win the Golden Globe and it did win the BAFTA and two acting num and two acting wins too. I would definitely have conceded that Three Billboards would have won on the popular vote if it had one screenplay. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I think that. That year, there were a lot of different contenders, and that's one thing that probably helped Shape of Water was that its competition was also kind of spread out a bit. And it, it to me, that's a year where I could see Shape of Water being the one that would still win on a popular vote, but I'm not 100% convinced. 2018, Green Book. <sighs> Honestly, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. This is the one where I don't know. Racism, forget about it. Have some chicken. <laughs> Honestly, because of what you were saying earlier in the podcast, Matt, I really do think it would have won the popular vote. There's a part of me that thinks it would have been Bohemian Rhapsody. Don't you? Oh dare God! Say that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't Maybe say I'm just thing. trying to make us all grateful for the preferential, <laughs> but. You know, I do think on a popular vote, I do think Roma would have won, but it would not have won by a wide margin. Agreed. Which is why when you get the preferential ballot, that's what helps Green Book because it's maybe not ranked number one on a lot of places, but it is in that number two, three position that people really like. And I think Parasite clearly won the popular vote. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Once Bong won, it's like, okay, yeah, it, it won the popular vote. Uh, if Bong hadn't won, would would you still agree? Um, maybe just because I still recognize there was so much passion in that room. And as we've seen lately, the Academy just seems to really separate picture and director so much. They almost look at those as two different accomplishments. And Agreed. I think that even if Sam Mendes had still won, I think I would have looked at it as like, well, that just fits the trend that of these really big technical pieces winning director. But another movie with more passion, as we said, wins Best Picture. And I still think that I would have recognized that. But Bong winning director just was further proof that, OK, no, this passion just was everywhere for this movie. Uh, this one comes from Devil May Pie. If you could know the result and rankings of every Oscar category from one year, which year would it be? Oh, I have my answer. It has it has never changed. My answer is always best visual effects 2015. I want to know what those margins were that allowed Ex Machina to win. It, it, that is the one category where I'm like, how the hell did that happen? I want to know so, so desperately. <laughs> it's a good choice. It's actually a really good choice. I also would want to know uh, how close George Miller was to Alejandro that year. Yeah, that's. That's the one that I mean, I me. yeah, I just feel like he, Alejandro was so out in front. It doesn't really matter to me. Also, too, I'd want to know how close a uh, supporting actor was between Ryan Lance and uh, Stallone. That'd yeah. be a good one, too. Mm -hmm. It's all 2015. We're mentioning. <laughs> I, yeah. I actually want to know um, original screenplay uh, for uh, what was it? 2014. Oh, Birdman, yeah. Boyhood, Grand Budapest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 
sticking with that, I would I would be very curious to know um, how close the screenplay race was uh, between Billboards and Get Out that year. Yeah. Yeah. And Lady Bird. And Lady Bird. Yeah. Oh, and Lady Bird. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, HL Movies asks, if there's one category where you could change a winner, uh, what would it be? I, I assume they mean from Favorite this year. Favorite for best this screenplay. Year. Oh, this year? Yeah. This year. Uh, that goes without saying FYI, Lord. That's mine, too. <laughs> I'm still bitter over it. I would rather... I, I Listen, keep the Green Book Best Picture win. I would rather have seen the favorite win uh, screenplay, in all honesty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, that deserved it so much. But for this year... Okay, as much as I love Laura Dern, I do think Margot Robbie had a phenomenal yeah. supporting role in Bombshell. And I'm going to say one. that today that I think she's going to win an Oscar in the next five years or in the next ten years. Yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. That's the one for me, too, honestly. Um, Parasite winning editing is mine. Oh, and fuck, uh, production design. <laughs> um, I think that it would shock no one that mine would be uh, Adam Driver. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Winning Best Actor over Joaquin. <laughs> yep. This one comes from Matt Anderson. Now that Ford v. Ferrari is the fifth Best Picture nominee in a row to win film editing without a screenplay nomination, will you guys take that into consideration when next year's nominations come out? Uh, what kind of advice uh, could I... And also, too, what kind of advice could I get when predicting future visual effects Oscar winners? All right, so let me break that down. Ford v. Ferrari is the fifth Best Picture nominee in a row to win film editing without a screenplay nomination. That to me feels more like a coincidence though. I, I yeah, yeah. It's just a pattern. I don't Yeah, I, I think the bigger one is that it's a movie that won editing that also had nominations for sound. That Agreed. To me feels like the more important thing to look at because I think that signals that people are looking at editing as really more of a technical feat. And if you have nominations in the sound categories, it just adds to that. So that to me feels like more something more that you should put your weight behind rather than it not having a writing nomination. That just feels like a coincidence to me. Mm-hmm. I I do think too that like if if there's anything to take from that, it's more just the like best picture nominee to win film editing part of it, not the writing part. You know what I mean? Like that yes, that helps. I, I, I that's why in my charts this year when I did my predictions, I just went through all the text and I was like, it was it a best picture nominee, yes or no? Because yeah. I wanted to see yeah what the correlation there was. And a lot of the times it's over 50% of the time, you know, and I I went back pretty far uh, for many years, uh, you know, to see what the deal was there. But yeah, best picture nominee certainly helps in every tech category. And I think the same could be applied to visual effects. Once again, Um, 1917 had a best picture nomination. So there you go. I think partially Mm -hmm. just because Academy voters are more committed to seeing the best picture nominees and they might be to something that's only nominated for a sound award or only nominated for, you know, a makeup award or something like that. They're just more likely to have seen it. Which once again, uh, tells me as it has always told me that the girl with the dragon tattoo was super close to a best picture nomination that year. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that was also a situation where there just wasn't any passion for any of the other movies nominated for editing. And yeah, the girl with the dragon tattoo was clearly the most editing of that group and it's like were you gonna go for the descendants or the artists like that that would have seemed very weird to me uh dom holder asks uh this one is from the category mark things that were not missed at this year's oscar ceremony uh was this the first year that they didn't do a piece on each of the best picture nominees uh i hope that they don't bring that back oh yeah i, I noticed that at the end because once yeah jane fonda came out to present best picture i went oh right we never had that we did have the 
I'm in the minority of liking the acting montages. I like I the also, acting montages I too. Love I love I think them. because I like that we got a variety of scenes of them as opposed yes. to I always feel like there's always one scene mm-hmm. where I'm like, you couldn't have picked a different one. So that I enjoyed that and I think it was a celebration of the work. Yeah. So. And and those montages also showcase the performance that isn't just like the Oscar scene. And that's something that I really liked about those montages. It didn't just boil it down to one recognizable moment that we just think, oh, that's the thing that's going to get them nominated. It showed more of a range of what they could do. Take out presenters presenting presenters. Uh, Keep the best picture uh, presentations also out of it. And I think your ceremony is that much cleaner at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I hate the throughout the night we're going to celebrate the best picture nominees. Just give me the montage right before the envelope is opened up. I'm fine with I that. I liked it, but also like it, it's hard to argue that it just just eats up time. <laughs> it, it does, and it's you know those aren't really meant for us. It's meant for people that have not really heard of most of these movies, and I understand yeah. why there is a need to feel like just have somebody come out and speak for like 90 seconds to say what this movie is that they've never heard of, but. It does waste a lot of time, and I think that you could just throw it into a montage and it would do just as fine. Uh, Ethan May asks, with Toy Story 4 winning after support for Klaus at Annie's and BAFTA's, should we always predict the most seen movie? Uh, Academy voting, yeah. <laughs> well, not not always, because like the year before, we all were kind of thinking that Incredibles had it. That was probably the most seen, and then Spider-Man came around. So I think it just always depends on if there is a single movie to challenge True. the big front runner. That's what you need. Cine, uh Amen asks, um, I asked this question last year. I'll ask it again. Are stats dead or are they on life support? They're always alive until they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're fluctuating. And I said this last year too, that it's about re- looking at stats, but also reading the room. You know, I, yeah. I remember I wrote a piece this year about stats and what uh, happened with 2018 and how we could apply them this year. And one of the things I noticed was SAG seemed like it was starting to go out because we had two movies in a row that didn't get nominated for SAG Ensemble. And what happened this year, the SAG Ensemble winner won Best Picture. So it, it all depends. They go back and forth and it just depends on what the year has to offer and reading the room that way. Yeah, the thing the thing is that, like, stats, there is always going to be something that happens in the nomination stage that contradicts what the stats would have you believe. You know, like, there's always going to be some category where it's like, well, this is clearly the winner, but you have all these stats. But the thing that you have stats competing against each other now, basically, yeah, is exactly. what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. You should always pay attention to them. You should never ignore them. You should mm-hmm. always see, like, who's winning here and, like, how that's going to affect it. But, yeah, I do agree with feeling the room and feeling the temperament of each year. The Film Cynic asks, I always wanted to know, since Best International Feature Film doesn't count as a win for Bong Joon-ho individually, but for the country of origin, uh, who the hell gets to keep the Oscar? Does that mean all of South Korea are Oscar winners now? I never understood mm-hmm. this. <laughs> I mean, I think my understanding is that the filmmaker still gets to keep it. It's just that it doesn't qualify as like an award that they have won. I I don't think they do, actually. Or maybe well, they well, didn't. Like, maybe that well, changed. Because but now I thought I remember name... like it goes to a country's like film council or something, like whatever body makes the selection for that country. Maybe. I, I just do know that they did make a change where now their name is on the actual like 
placket, the, the actual plaque itself. Um, so I, I still don't know who actually gets to keep it, though. I, I, what I do know is that it isn't an Oscar that they technically win. The country does technically win it. But where that Oscar physically goes, I admit I'm still not 100% sure of that. Like, Michael Haneke has won for a more, but Michael Haneke is not an Oscar winner. No, he's not an Oscar winner. Right. Even though all the trailers will say he's an Oscar winner. Justin C. asks, do you think the sound categories split because of the threat that they might merge in the future? No, I think they split no. because the Academy just liked the sound in both of those movies and yeah. honestly probably couldn't decide on which one to do. So they just voted in it for both arbitrarily. Yeah. I think it's because they have taste and they know what the difference is. Well, you have more faith in them than I do. <laughs> I was going to say, Bohemian Rhapsody, I think, forever killed that perception yeah. for me. I, I'm, I'm yep. sorry. New, new voting body this year. Sorry. Yeah, a thousand new people. Which would, it was a thousand more people than the year before, and they still did it. I, you will never <laughs> convince me. Bohemian Rhapsody winning sound editing to me is definitive proof. Those people don't have any idea what they're doing. When we get splits, it's by accident. Uh, it will never convince people who otherwise. voted that year didn't know what they were doing the people who voted this year did or maybe they listened yes. to a lot of podcasts where we called about on it and this year like okay exactly. i finally understand now i get it <laughs> well there's gonna be one category next year anyway so who cares jonathan paula asks the general consensus is that parasite really was the best picture of the year what is your favorite example of the Oscars getting best picture, quote unquote, right? I mean, I am still a big <laughs> Moonlight fan, and I know that there are a lot of La La Land fans out here, and I get that. But to me, Moonlight was really something that I truly never expected to happen. You know, I had a feeling that Parasite could win best pictures, why I predicted it. But to me, I always sort of felt like La La Land was an inevitability. And when Moonlight did surprise, it really was something that was really magical and special to me i you know josh i have to say i i'm a huge la la land fan it's my number one film of that year it's close to you know my top 10 of the decade but i love moonlight's best picture win so much and i think that this is (laughs) i know this makes no sense but La La Land winning Best Picture, it would have been sort of like um, in the middle tier of all Best Picture winners. And Moonlight is one of the best Best Picture winners. Well, it's like it actually helped both of those movies' legacies. It, it completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because now Moonlight gets to be the Best Picture winner that surprised and was this little movie and finally did it. And La La Land managed to win a bunch of awards and also now not have the backlash of it winning everything leading up to that point. So it really, it really did help both of those movies, that decision. Um, I mean, Silence of the Lambs is my favorite movie of all time and it won best picture. So there you go. There you go. (laughs) Titanic is also, I was going to say Titanic. It broke, broke all box effort box office records. It became this cultural phenomenon. So the fact that it won, you know, it's in that three, film tie of most wins ever so that deserved to win everything even though it's not my favorite uh film of the trilogy the lord of the rings uh return to king getting an 11 oscar sweep tying the record for all time mm-hmm. wins <laughs> i still look at that as a reward for uh the entire trilogy which i personally count as one film and i think it's it, it, it was the first year i ever watched the oscars it was the year that like put me on to this idea of like, oh my God, like my favorite movie can win all these awards. That's amazing. Quickly found out that wasn't true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that that holds a special place in my heart for all eternity. I also just 
remain like really excited that All About Eve actually won back in 1950 because I love that movie so much and like it just makes me happy to be able to say like best picture winner All About Eve. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Kerr, what are your favorite winners in each of the top eight categories from the 2010s? The reason why I saved this question here for last is because this is what we asked on the polls uh, throughout this week. We're giving everyone two weeks Basically, well, technically a week is over. So you have one week now to go through (laughs) all of the Oscar categories over the last decade, from documentary to sound editing to best supporting actress and up to best picture, and tell us your favorite winners in all these categories from the decade. I'm not going to ask you guys to do that here on the air. Um, I understand it's a lot. We're going a little long today. Uh, But you can head on over to the polls page and you can cast votes there and tell us. I can tell you right now. This has been uh, the most successful uh, polls that we've ever run on the website. Um, every single poll has thousands of votes, mm-hmm. wow. which is insane. Wow. So I think we're going to get uh, – currently, we still have a week of voting left. And, we're, like, we have, like, 3,500 uh, votes in for, like, pretty much, like, all of these right now. It's wow. pretty wild. So. I definitely think also because of how eclectic uh, the taste is amongst everyone, I, I think that we're going to get uh, some really, really, really close calls here. So, because yeah. I got to say, um, you know, with the exception of like maybe one, two, um, everybody's getting votes everywhere. It's very interesting to just hear from people what their favorites are, you know. So uh, last week uh, before the Oscars, uh, we asked for the final time of uh, this season. We we asked this question three times as like a temperature gauge, if you will. Uh, which film do you think would be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? And I have to say, Parasite beat 1917 by two votes. Wow. <laughs> wow. So in terms of people like just predicting the Best Picture race all the way up until the end, it was really, really, really split. And... Congratulations to everyone that called that best picture win for Parasite. Congratulations to Lauren, who called the Bong Joon-ho win in director. Yeah. Take me to Vegas. There you go. (laughs) Right? Now, the question is, will that good luck transfer over to Wes Anderson in 2020 for his latest film, The French Dispatch? Uh, Last time he had a live-action film, The Grand Budapest Hotel, it was wholly embraced by the Academy with nominations across the board and winning four Oscars. So, his return to live-action is uh, happening on July 24th, 2020 from Searchlight. I was about to say something else. Searchlight Pictures. (laughs) Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. Decent people. Supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthal. Certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. The kids did this. 
obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom. Full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Kremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. Foreman, one hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. I have, <laughs> I have missed him so much, and I didn't realize how much I missed him until I saw this trailer. I have to say, I think that just from a stills perspective, um, this might be my favorite like shot Wes Anderson film, and I haven't even seen the full movie yet, but. My God, the cinematography by uh, Robert uh, Yeaman is pretty incredible here. I think just like the blending of the black and white with the color. With the, I know he's done different aspect ratios before with Grand Budapest, but I think that there's like a distinct look between the two different storylines or whatever going on here. I think that there's also some interesting camera movements. Like there's one, like a going around a dinner table that's a little more different than things that I've seen from him before. I think there's such a, a cool, both classic Wes Anderson cast, but also some different players in there. I, he's one of my favorite working directors. And so I'll follow him anywhere. I'm just also really excited to see what he does with music with this beyond just score. I'm always excited to see what types of soundtracks he puts together and the uses of music. So I, I couldn't be more excited. Well, I'm glad you're excited. Oh, boy. <laughs> Hot take. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know what? It's not that I actively dislike him. It's just that most of his movies have just never really been that responsive to. Like, I recognize that they're technically decent, but just something about him as a storyteller has just never really clicked for me, outside of very few exceptions. So it, it looks like a Wes Anderson movie, and I'm, I will go see it, and I'm sure I will appreciate all the things that I usually appreciate out of his movies, but... Uh, to be completely honest, it, just this trailer does not immediately sell me that I'm going to fall in love with the movie. But I know that that is different for many, many other people. Yeah, that's me. Wes Anderson stuff isn't my cup of tea. I admit I do need to see. I have to rewatch Grand Budapest to get like a slightly more concrete opinion on it. But I understand why everyone loves it. And I understand why people appreciate it. And I respect it. But again, I don't think it's going to be like in my top ten. Psst, Josh, Lauren. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you guys, too. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Matthew J. Neglia. <laughs> My favorite Wes Anderson film uh, has been Fantastic Mr. Fox. And uh, part of that is because I thought his style just translated so well to stop motion animation. Um, I wasn't as big on Isle of Dogs, but... Which I loved, ironically. I, I agree <laughs> so. with Lauren and Josh that his storytelling style while it is wholly distinctive it completely belongs to him and i always find it to be interesting i've never been so enthusiastic about a wes anderson movie that it's like placed its way into like my top 10 or anything like that i i don't know 
why. Um, I think maybe because sometimes the casts are just so big and the parts are, while entertaining, um, they're not written in a way that gets me emotionally connected to the story that's happening. Grand Budapest Hotel, I think, came the closest, probably. Um, and I thought Ray Fiennes' performance in that was freaking phenomenal. Flawless. So I, I, I can't tell from watching this trailer if we're getting a similar uh, thing here with like such a leading performance. It does seem like more of an ensemble piece. But I am excited to see him work with people like Timothy Chalamet, um, Adrian Brody, who he seems to be keeping uh, in work. Um, <laughs> Benicio Del Toro. Uh, at the same time, I don't really know what this movie is about because it does yeah. seem like it's all over the place. So... Well, that's the whole point. It's three different stories from the French Dispatch, as far as I can tell. It's kind of his version of an anthology film, or at least that's what it looks like now. You know, I mean, we could find another trailer that comes out that is completely different and tells us that it's something else. I the thing about Wes Anderson for me is that like his his comic sensibilities so very closely match my own. (laughs) <laughs> that even mm-hmm. when I don't love the films as a whole, I always enjoy them. Okay. Yeah. And there are so many moments in this trailer, like the whole Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody standoff, yes, no, yes, no, is hilarious to me. And I am fully aware that that is not to everyone's taste, but it sure as hell is to mine. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, this is coming out on July 24th. As I said before, I have a very, very strong feeling it might make its premiere at the Cannes Film Festival this year. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I think that right off the bat from watching this trailer, I immediately uh, just jumped on cinematography, production design and costume design nominations like right away. Yep. Absolutely. We'll have to wait and see uh, how much further it gets uh, than that. But um, I- I'm excited. I'm not like enthusiastically excited, but I am excited. I'm-, I'm always excited for a Wes Anderson film because at the end of the day, remember, like I said before, his style is his style. And you're not going to get that anywhere else. And you'll-, you'll get imitators and things like that. But he is such a benchmark for so many filmmakers out there because that style is just so distinctive. And I love I- I- I'd love to get more of that. So there you go. All right, um, and that will pretty much do it here for this week. A little bit of housekeeping uh, items before we go. 2014 Retrospective is coming. Very, very excited about that. Cannot wait. Uh, We also have our first audio commentary track that we are releasing this week for our Patreon members. (laughs) And it is for the 2019 Masterpiece Serenity. I'm so excited. (laughs) God. It will be fun. I've watched this movie one and a half times. One time in the theater where I was so perplexed by it, I couldn't believe that it was real. And I've seen it uh, in parts uh, here at my apartment with my roommate one time because I was just like, yo, you got to see how bad shit crazy this movie is. So amazing. So we'll be recording that this week. We'll release that in full for people to listen to. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And of course, everyone's feedback on that will be greatly appreciated. So we know what direction to take those moving forward. Uh, And I also have an announcement uh, to make for everyone uh, right now. So I get a lot of emails from a lot of people asking to write for the website. We have a pretty large team here at Next Best Picture. I am not looking to grow the team bigger than what it is right now. So it always pains me to tell people, um, you know, sorry, like, you know, we're 
got a pretty large team right now. You know, I'll keep you in mind for the future. Like I have this like very, very long bench of people uh, to reach out to in the future uh, should a position uh, open up over here. Uh, but in talking with uh, Sarah Clements, our editor over here, uh, we have decided that we are going to make the blog for Next Best Picture completely open to the public. And the public will now be able to submit in uh, ideas for what they want to post. And those will uh, get run by me. I will respond. I will chat with everybody. And I will, like, you know, give some feedback. And at the end of the day, I, I think a lot about, like, my own experiences. And uh, when I was just starting off and I didn't have anything, really, like, I didn't have what we've built here. And I got to credit JD over at In Session Film with giving – me, who had absolutely no experience, uh, this opportunity to come onto his podcast as a guest. And um, if I hadn't gotten that opportunity when everybody else was telling me no, it wouldn't have kickstarted this avalanche uh, that has, you know, become uh, Next Best Picture. So for anyone out there that's just looking for an opportunity and looking for a chance to just get their work shown uh, for whatever that might present to them in the future, as far as opportunity is concerned, uh, we want to be able to help you guys out. And uh, I'm very, very happy to be able to do that for anyone that wants it, because at the end of the day, um, it's, you know, it's, it's like the same as looking for the next best picture. We're looking for the next best uh, writers out there. And we're looking for people to fuel the conversation and uh, keep things going, you know. So why not present that opportunity to everybody? Um, I will be very, very, very honest and transparent when I say that this is a non-paying thing. Uh, so, I mean, that might change in the future, FYI. But for now, if people are just looking to get their work out there, get seen, get noticed, and be able to help grow their careers individually. Uh, we are very, very happy to help support that. So there will be a link posted on the website. Um, I think I'm going to put it on the homepage, and people will be able to go through that uh, to be able to submit uh, pitches over to myself for moving forward. So this is a new uh, era for us here. We're very, very excited about this, and I hope that it goes well. Fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> so... Uh, hopefully I don't get like, you know, hundreds of emails a week. That would be very nice if it wasn't that many. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, though, uh, Josh Parm, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parm. Dan Bear, how about you? You can find me spouting nonsense on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Nicole Ackman. You can find me at Nicole Ackman 16. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Lauren LaMagna. You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 181 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FMA, Cast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback there and your support, which you can lend on over to Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. We recently did a podcast review of Force Majeure uh, in anticipation for the film Downhill. We have that audio commentary of Serenity coming up for your enjoyment and our misery, so we look forward to you listening to that. And we have other podcast content coming as well. Like I said, 2014 Retrospective. Uh, we'll start putting out some work on that very, very soon. Very, very excited about it. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.